0: Good morning. It's, it's been my habit over the past number of years, at the end of the year or at the beginning of the new year, just to pray and ask the Lord for a word for the church, not only for our church, but a word to carry forward into some of the churches I minister in, just kind of a prophetic sense of what God might be saying. And uh, the holidays were very filled, you know, so it was like January, and I realized I really hadn't sought the Lord about what he might want to say uh, for this coming year. So I was thinking about that, and I, I think I was in the car or something. It wasn't like I was in prayer or anything, you know, I'm, but I talked to the Lord. I try to talk to the Lord all the time. So I was saying, you know, Lord, I, I never asked you for the word for this year. He goes, well, go ahead. I said, okay, what's the word for this year? And I mean, it was just clear as a bell. The Lord said, go out and gather in. Go out and gather in. And there was a key verse, uh, John 4, 34 through 36, which comes to mind immediately. And and most of this teaching is coming out of uh, three different booklets that I've written over the years, as well as a paper uh, that Jim Garrett wrote for the New Testament conclave in relationship to the Great Commission. Some of this uh, you'll recognize, other is new. So John four thirty-four through 36, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I just got one sentence in, and that's, that's a whole message. I mean, that is so clear. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And immediately we're thinking, okay, what is this will? What is this work? And he goes on, do you not say, there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, and both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. My food is to do the will of him who sent me, the fields are white for the harvest. Luke 19:10. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. He has come to seek and save that which was lost. The will of the Father is that we seek and save the lost because this is His work, and the fields are white for the harvest. It's very, very clear. And it is the work of every blood-washed Christian. It's the work of every Christian at different levels. I was uh, We're going to get to this area about what a preacher is. A preacher is actually a proclaimer. And, and, you know, we think of preacher, we think of large groups. A proclaimer can be to one person, or two people, or three, or the Lord may give you grace to speak to more. But it's not what we're thinking about professional or some kind of specific setting. It's very ad hoc. It's very uh, spontaneous. So we are to go out and gather in. And, and that struck me, too, because what it was saying to me was, and we're going to get to this area about discipleship, not only to go out and speak the Word of God, but to bring them in, to bring them into the church, to bring them into a home fellowship group. Uh, I was sharing that uh, I was ministering in uh, the church in San Pedro Sula in Honduras, an a Viente church, and we've had some of the brothers come up here, and we've had a relationship with them for a long time, and they have... a a history of meeting on Saturday evening. It started out as a coffee house ministry. So when it burgeoned into a church and a whole church movement, it just became their tradition to meet on Saturday evenings. And it's a lot cooler because on Sundays it's very hot and uh, they don't use air conditioning. They have kind of an open um, field pavilion, you know, where they meet. So on Sunday they have discipleship for church growth, but they have house churches and they have something like 600 people in their house churches and 500 in attendance on Sunday morning. So they have more people in the house church than they do in church. You know, so you can invite them into your house church. And uh, that would be a place for, for spiritual growth and discipleship. Mark 16, 15 through 18. Mark 16, 15 through 18. And this is the classic Great Commission verse. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them, and they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And I have taught this before that these Signs and wonders are to confirm the ministry of the word. To confirm the ministry of the word. And we should have expectation that when we're sharing with someone, and I've been in situations where they weren't terribly receptive to what I was sharing, and then I stopped and I said, Well, you know, before we leave, is there anything I could pray for you about? And immediately it's, Oh, yeah, you could pray for me, but, you know, it's like, you know, can't hurt. And then God does something. I've had a number of spontaneous things like that. And, you know, I was in a Walmart talking to someone, and I said, well, let me just pray with you. Oh, we're in a Walmart. I said, it's okay. I'll just look at you, keep my eyes open. Lord, we just pray right now in Jesus' name. I mean, the Holy Spirit fell in Walmart. Okay? (laughs) So it's talking about going into the world. I remember Chuck Farah uh, shared one time, he said, what this is saying really is go into every man's world go into every man's world. And he had a real burden about that, and that's why he started Tulsa Men for Christ, reaching out to businessmen on Saturdays, you know, targeting groups that aren't normally targeted, targeting groups that might not come to church. Every man's world. And this is known as the Great Commission. The definition of commission is the act of granting certain powers or the authority to carry out a particular task or duty. So what this means is that God has given us the power and authority to fulfill this task. And that's what some of these verses say. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which is the other half of the Great Commission, he specifically says this. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. All authority has been given. And then he says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We can only impart what God has given us. And every one of us can function in discipleship by imparting to others what God has given us. Someone said a, a, a third grader can give a first grader something. And, you know, having seven children, you know, the first one, Uh, advanced at a certain level. The second one, by the time he got to the third one, the third one was really advancing because the first one was discipling that one. You know? And and, and, and Heather, basically, you know, I've got a, a bunch of kids that are baptized in the Holy Spirit because she'd chase them down, lay hands on them, and get them baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's discipleship. That's discipleship. But we all have something. Just that which he has given to us that we give to them. To go to preach, and to disciple. And that encompasses that word, to go out and to gather in. And the idea of gathering is get them in a situation where they can grow in grace. Now, Jim Garrett wrote a paper called The New Testament Church's Response to the Great Commission. And in that, he opened up this word, go, in these two uh, verses. And the fact that in the Greek, there are basically three meanings. And a lot of times in the Greek, there's more than one meaning. So then you have to look at the context of the verse and see which ones fit. Well, this one, that'll work, but that one won't. So sometimes it can have a couple different meanings that are viable. And that's what we're looking at. The first meaning is the imperative participle, which is a command. And this is the way we usually take it. Go! You know what we're saying? Keith Green used to say, don't ask if you should go. Ask where you should go. <laughs> you <know? laughs> ask where you should go. The second one, as you go. A simple participle. I like that. When you go, wherever you go, because we're always going somewhere. You know, we're going to leave here. We're going to go somewhere. When we got up this morning, we went somewhere. We came here. You know, we're going to go to the grocery store. We're going to go to the gas station. And that's what it's talking about. That's what it's talking about. And number three, if you go a conditional participle, if you decide to go or when you go. So they really all fit, the first two in particular, because it seems like we're going somewhere all the time, if you go. So what it's saying here is that if you have not yet been spoken to in regard to a specific country or location to go, you need to preach and disciple as you go, whenever you go, and wherever you go. You know, I, I was I was uh, in Rick Renner's church in Moscow, and, and Rick Renner, I don't know if you know Rick, he's a, he's a Bible teacher, he has built the church in Russia on teaching. The Russian church isn't used to teaching, you know, verse upon verse upon verse. You know, they share a verse and they ex- give you an exhortation on that verse, you know. That's all, you know, preaching. But teaching they're not used to. The Russians are just eating it up. So the big thing, and I, I talk about too, the big thing is to take notes, you know, So Rick does the same thing I do. In the middle of his message, he'll stop and he'll go, that's really good. Did you write that down? (laughs) You know. So do you have something to write on? (laughs) You need to write some of these things down. Okay, and then you can look at them later. To preach and disciple, one, as you go, whenever you go, and wherever you go, whenever you go, and wherever you go. I was in Nikolai Levchenko's church, and I said, how many people here have heard me preach before? And a bunch of hands went up. How many people have pencil and paper? And they waved their pencil and paper. Okay, we have a commission from the Lord to preach the gospel and to disciple wherever we go. I would call this lifestyle evangelism. It's just part of your life. It's natural. It's not something you have to think about. You just do it like breathing, you know, that there's an opportunity, uh, breathing. Lifestyle evangelism. Uh, John W. R. Stott, who was chaplain uh, for the Queen of England, once said this. He's uh, Anglican. The church is under orders. The risen Lord has commanded it to go, to preach, and make disciples, and that is enough. The church engages in evangelism today, not because it wants to, or because it chooses to, or because it likes to, because there's times you just don't feel like it, you know. There's a lot of things you don't feel like doing. I, I think one of the greatest things for me was being in the military, you know, because you know what it teaches you? To do things you don't want to do, you know, no matter how you feel. I mean, I was in Korea for two winters. I had upper respiratory infection, and back in that day, there was no mercy. Unless you were throwing up and had a fever, you were on duty in the Jeep, out in the middle of the, you know, minus nine degrees, you know, and I, I had the I never got stomach sick. I was always upper respiratory, and I didn't get a fever, so I was stuck. To You just have to do what you have. I told my wife this, you know. She said, how can you do that? I said, I just have to do what you have to do, you know. And God has called us in this manner. He says, because it has been said, evangelistic inactivity is disobedience. Evangelistic inactivity is disobedience. We do it not because we choose or like to, but because God told us to. And, and we're going to get to the motivational factor. It's not a dry obedience. It's out of God's love, that his love compels us and empowers us to do this. In that same paper, the New Testament church's response to the Great Commission that Jim wrote, he said this after uh, elaborating on, the, on these uh, definitions. This understanding of the participle would imply that if every Christian did this in his own place of residence, then the nations would be discipled. The task would be accomplished if, in fact, each born-again Christian would do what God has said to do. Would do what God has said to do. Lifestyle lifestyle evangelism is the answer to fulfilling the Great Commission. Not that we shouldn't have uh, events or crusades, different creative things, do certain things, but that is really the answer to the fulfilling of the Great Commission. But there's a problem, and John G. Lake, who was a missionary and apostle to South Africa in the late 1800s, said it this way, men are afraid of the opinion of their neighbors, just as the heathen. There is particularly no Christian who has the real stamina to stand forth and declare his absolute convictions concerning Jesus Christ, the Son of God much less to declare their convictions as to Jesus Christ, the Savior of mankind. Stamina. There was a quote in a prayer room at a Mennonite church in Illinois that Jim and I were visiting, and we were in prayer, and I happened to open my eyes, saw this poster, and I wrote it down. And it says this, it was an anonymous quote, In my estimation, the greatest threat to Christianity is not communism, not atheism and not cultism, in my estimation, the greatest threat to Christianity is Christians who are trying to sneak into heaven incognito without ever sharing their faith or getting involved. We need to be careful about becoming self-centered, even in our Christian faith. Even in our Christian faith. Romans 10, 13 through 15 Romans 10, 15, sorry, 13 through 15. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher? And again we come to that place and we think, well I'm not a preacher, I'll just, you know, pay the preacher. He'll do it. How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And again, this word preach is the word keruso, which means to proclaim publicly to proclaim publicly. So here we have, how shall they hear without someone to proclaim it or witness, share their faith, testimony? And then it says, how shall they preach unless they are sent? But in the Great Commission, he already said go at the very end. That was the last thing he said, go. He sent us, as it were. And so how shall they preach unless they go and do what I've said to do and proclaim? That's what it's saying. And it's our responsibility. I remember years ago I got up here and I shared something similar and I kept coming to this phrase, if we don't do it, who will? If we don't do it, who will? And I I think I quoted the thing about the angels. It talks about how the angels aren't going to do it because it says they are to serve those who are doing it, those who are to receive the inheritance. That's the angel's responsibility is to empower and to be there and who knows what all else. But we are to proclaim the gospel. Paul had a strange understanding that every Christian is a preacher. Every Christian is a proclaimer. It might just be one or two people. It might be a larger group. And then in Romans 10:8, it clearly says this. The word is near you. The word is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. We have been given the word of faith. It's in our heart and it's in our mouth. We just need to speak it and proclaim it everywhere we go. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 through 19. This is probably one of the clearest, clearest areas. Five eighteen through 19. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I really developed that because the ministry of reconciliation, as it's spoken here, talks about reconciling men to God, but it also involves reconciling husbands to wives and families and people in the church. I I realize that really our ministry is the ministry of reconciliation, and it's very broad. But here it's specifically speaking about that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He's committed it to us as believers. He's given it to us. We have it. Actually, it goes back up to that other verse. It's in your heart and it's in your mouth, the word of faith, which we preach, which is the word of reconciliation. In the Revised Standard, it uses the word entrusted. He has entrusted it to us. and I, I looked that up, and what it means is to giving, giving something to someone with the confidence that they're going to do what you've asked them to do with it. That God has this confidence in us, that that He's given us this word of reconciliation. He has this confidence that we're going to do what He has asked us to do with it, which is to proclaim it. He has entrusted it to us. Some synonyms are contrived, consigned to relegate, to commend. God's given us a stewardship; He's entrusted to us the world, the word of reconciliation. Then in Second. Corinthians five twenty, continuing in that area. It's a whole area here. It says, "Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are His representatives, and that carries a real sense of authority and almost legal government authority. You understand? An ambassador has a lot of authority. Talked about, you know, ambassadors have the authority to, to give visas, to, to to represent that country in any number of uh, responsibilities." We are Christ's ambassadors. For Christ, as through God, we're pleading as though as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. It's talking about pleading. I looked that uh, verse up in the Greek, and basically that's what it means. It means to beg. Can you picture God begging? I mean, that's his heart of love. That's his heart of love that he wants to plead through us on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He wants to give us utterance. And, you know, the Scriptures talk about that. In Luke 21, verse 12 through 16, and and there's one other reference to this, and I, I couldn't find it, but Luke 21, 12 through 16, it talks about being brought before kings and rulers for his name's sake. And it's talking about how God will allow that for his testimony to go forth. And it says that. It says it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. And then he says, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. You know, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? No, just let it go. Lean on the Lord. And it says, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Is that powerful? That's a prayer. I pray that. Lord, give me a mouth and wisdom which my adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. And I believe this verse is applicable in any regard to the tension and conflict that occurs as you're attempting to share your testimony. As you're attempting to share your testimony. Open your mouth and start to speak whatever comes to mind, and the next thing you know, words will be coming out of your mouth that you know nothing of, and you'll be sitting there in the back of your head going, this is pretty good. And when it's over, you'll say to yourself, I can't believe that happened. That was God. But it's true. How? Because we are a prophetic people. We are a prophetic people. There are specific offices and gifts, but as a people, we are a prophetic people. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit within us. And if we allow him to, he will speak to us. And as he speaks to us and we give utterance, he will speak through us. He will do that. And he wants to do that. and He wants to teach us how to do that. And as we exercise that, it just becomes more natural. Things come, you know. I I don't know how many times I've said something and go, boy, that was really good. Thanks, Lord. I mean, it was just, it was a God thing. And we need to be open to that. I mentioned that the motivation for evangelism is God's love for the lost. And as I was meditating upon this teaching and just kind of thinking through it, God's love for the lost, the Lord said, it is the burden of the Lord. And I I haven't really developed that, you know, but it just sits there. That this is the burden of the Lord. And somehow, you know, it says it's His work, and somehow we are entering into and sharing in the Lord's burden. He bears this. It's the burden of the Lord. And we have to make a conscious effort to enter in and bear this burden that God bears for the lost. And our motivation, 2 Corinthians 5.14. Again, in this whole area of 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says in part, for the love of Christ compels us the love of christ compels us and then in verse 15 it says that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again it is no longer we who live we live in christ in god by his faith we are no we no longer belong to ourselves and it's interesting because this word compel, when I looked that up in the Greek, it basically says someone who is constrained or forced to do something, and then it used the, the word like a prisoner. <laughs> you know? And then it also said a cow in a pen. <laughs> you know? I like the, the prisoner better. But a prisoner. And then I thought about, you know, the doulos, a love slave, that we are slaves. We're prisoners, and that's what it's saying. The love of Christ forces us, compels us, because we are no longer uh, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who rose again. We need to have God's heart for the lost. The scriptures in a number of places share God's heart for the lost, and as I read these, I am reproved because this is not my heart. I mean, some of it may be, but it gets a little bit deep. Matthew 18:11 Matthew 1811. For the Son of Man came to save that which was lost. And in verse 14 of that same area, Matthew eighteen eleven, and then verse 14, It is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. 1 Timothy 2, 4. This is the heart of God. For the lost, First Timothy two four. He desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I mean, that's going to take the whole body of Christ functioning. That's what it's going to take for this for this commission to be done. Finally, Ezekiel thirty three eleven. This is the tough one. Ezekiel thirty three eleven. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. And I thought about that, and I thought about having pleasure when, you know, not pleasure, but I wasn't sad, you know, when Saddam Hussein died. I, I don't suppose I would have been sad when Hitler died. But, you know, God has such a different heart than we do. He sees so deeply beyond that. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. God loves the lost, that not even one would perish, but that all would turn from wickedness and be saved. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. This is uh, I actually this is from a booklet. I wrote called The Heart of the Good Shepherd. And parts and pieces here. And this, this is from The Heart of the Good Shepherd. And in Ezekiel 34, verse 1 through 6, he's talking about the shepherds of Israel. He's talking about the bad shepherds. And he's talking about all they do is think about themselves. They don't think about the flock. I'm paraphrasing. They just feed themselves take care of themselves, they haven't strengthened, then then they have a list, they haven't strengthened the weak, they haven't healed the sick, they haven't bound up the broken, they didn't bring back what was driven away, nor have they sought the lost, but with force and cruelty they have ruled them. That's a good measure. You know, just walk through that, especially if you're in leadership. But what I realized was that this applies to all of us. Why? Because we have the heart of the great shepherd, of the good shepherd in us. There are specific ones who are called to leadership that have more responsibility, that have certain giftings and so on. But each and every one of us has the heart of the good shepherd. So each and every one of us participates to some degree in this uh, indictment. And if you turn it to the positive, and I made a list of them, the two that I'm picking out uh, in regard to the teaching here is that we have the responsibility to bring back what was driven away and to seek what was lost. So we're looking at those, and I, I see this all the time, especially in Tulsa, who, who, who have left the faith because of the church, because something happened in the church. I, I actually was talking to somebody, and it just came to me, and I said, You know, you, you shouldn't give up on Jesus just because you had a bad experience in the church. He looked at me like, How did you know that? Those that are driven away and seek the lost. And it says, if we have the heart of the Good Shepherd, we will do that. You might want to read through that area. It's very, very good. We are to go out and to gather in. The final verse, which to me has been the strongest exhortation to save the lost, is in Proverbs chapter 24. And and I'm sure you're familiar with this, but Proverbs chapter 24. And I just want us to listen to it anew and, and afresh. And, and let it kind of go home to us. And I, I have prayed, Lord, you know, give us eyes to see this reality of this verse. Give us eyes to see. Deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. It's, it's very visual, you know. Let your imagination... Deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. And then it says, if you say, surely we did not know this. You know, we were busy about our own things and, you know, I mean, they weren't bad things. It wasn't sin. I got to provide for my family. I have to, you know, actually a lot of it was spiritual stuff. I was memorizing scripture and I was reading the word. You know, Surely we did not know this. I didn't know it was my responsibility. Me? You know, I thought that—that's what I hired the, the preacher to do. You know, that's what I—that's we brought in that evangelist. Do you remember that? Brought in that evangelist. Does not he who weighs the heart consider it? He who keeps your soul does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? Very strong verse doesn't need it to be elaborated on. It's just a very strong verse. It talks about our personal responsibility, each one of us, as we go about our daily activities in this city. And we've talked about circle of influence, and I don't want to labor on that, but, you know, each one of us minister, talks to and relates to different people. You see people that I will never see, even in my lifetime, much less that day. And I see people you will never see and and it would be so wonderful really to be able to step back have a whole day right and and have a map of the city and step back and each one in the church that i know you know where they live and then and then all the little lines of what they do in one day i mean what do you think that would cover probably most of the city and the next day maybe a little different you know can you understand what i'm saying the the the, the area it encompasses And and really, we talked about how our circle of responsibility, that's the area, the circle of influence, that's the area God has given us as each one of our responsibilities. Proverbs 1130 says, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. I believe the Lord has given this word. I really do. I'm going to be going to Ohio in February. There's one church there that if I was in Ohio, that would be my home church, Good Church, New Covenant. I'll be sharing that there. Please please pray for me. But I, I just really feel, and usually the Lord develops and distills this. You get the raw message. You know? So let's really think about this and let's think about what it says about, you know, not only hearing the word, but doing the word. And what it says about not being a forgetful hearer. I've, t- I've told the story about, you know, there was a, a powerful Sunday in a, in a church in the city, and everybody was out just pumped up, you know, and said, what happened? Oh, the power of God fell. It was so powerful. The anointing of God, what, what, what did he say? He said, well, uh, I don't know, but the power of God, the anointing of God was there, <laughs> you know. Let it not be so. You know, when you leave, I hope you remember what was said. And, and we put it into practice that we're doers. Now we have an opportunity, and and really that's kind of why we positioned uh, this message at this time, because we have this missions conference that's up and coming, and so you have an opportunity where there's an event where you have an excuse to invite someone, okay? Now Chris Jenkins, he's uh, Dr. Crouch's right-hand man, I don't know his his exact title, but uh, within his image, and we've had Dr. Crouch come and speak, and it's a powerful, powerful work, and they've moved from... Uh, short-term missions, even to having long-term missionaries. I mean, this thing has developed. And they go to places like, I'm, I'm going to talk to Chris about talking about Burma. When when Myanmar first opened up, they were there with doctors. At the very beginning, where things just started opening up, they were there. And I think it was in conjunction with, uh, with Terry Law. You know, Terry Law was there, and His Image was there. I know that they, uh, they partner in works uh, within His Image. And uh, so I'm hoping he'll share that. That's going to be dynamic. Think about it, having someone, bringing someone. Uh, Wednesday's a little more in-house. We have a, a panel. Uh, we're going to be uh, asking questions and hearing from our missionaries and this kind of thing. Friday night is incredible. Where this, this is going to be a citywide thing, worship to the nations. We're going to have international worship and, and, and also a, a strong worship set. This would be particularly a good time to do that. We're going to have posters out. We have another ministry that's going to partner with us. We're looking at ORU and different things. So, you know, my hope is we'll just have to go find chairs. We got chairs, you know. We're just going to have to fill this place out. That's Friday night, and it tends to be a less uh, threatening thing because it's not a religious night, you know. It's not a religious night. Kind of a party night, so we'll just do that here. And then Sunday is Dr. Ray Smith. And uh, he's professor of missions at ORU in the seminary, and a good friend, and uh, he goes with me. He's part of our leadership team, and he goes with me to Ukraine and teaches regularly. He's going with me this uh, fall, and he's a, he was a missionary in Italy and uh, has a lot of depth. So think about that, to bring someone. You know, if every one of us brought one person, think what that would do. But let's continue this in this vision okay, and get a hold of it. Uh, We have materials uh, out on the uh, table. The Gusties came in, you know, to give to someone. And uh, this is actually very good. Are you rooted in the church? And uh, very unthreatening, very good. I use use this one quite a bit to get this to someone. So please take some, at least to look at them and think about how you can use them. I want to end this message with an opportunity for change. And I've taught before that change only comes, true change only comes through repentance, through repentance. And I actually had a little short list here that you can think about. And uh, one, of course, has to do with obedience. If you've been struck with the fact that, you know, I've just not been obedient, and uh, I get into these situations where I just have to plead i, I plead stupidity and forgetfulness, you know. Lord, I, I just have to be honest with Lord. I said, Lord, I, you know, it's not intentional. I'm just stupid. I just, you know, I forgot. I forgot. I just let it go. I decided I was going to do it. I was, I know, six months ago, I never did it. You know, and these kind of things. I mean, be honest, okay? But there's a reality about just not being obedient. If you don't have a burden for the lost, admit it, I just, I just don't have a burden for the lost. You know, I got a burden for my brothers and sisters who are hurting, you know, and they're in pain. I pray and I just, you know, I take food over and I talk to them, and, you know, but some reason I don't have a burden for the lost. You can pray and ask God for a burden for the lost because it's His burden and He will give it to you if you ask Him for it. And, and I, I pray, Lord, open my eyes. Let me see what you see. If you've ever prayed that and had it happen, it's scary. It really is. For boldness. And I would say a fresh infilling. For boldness. And you want to pray for that. I want to take a little bit of time. I don't want to labor this, but I want to take a little bit of time. I just want to wait before the Lord. And if you want to come up for prayer, there's, you know, Dave's here, others here, Jim, different ones will pray with you. You could pray with your spouse, even in your chair. But I want to have an opportunity for change that the word would bring change. So be obedient to the Lord as we just wait. You know, 4 minutes, 5 minutes. Let's just wait before the Lord. I'm going to pray a short prayer. Lord, I just ask you to move amongst us and to make clear to us your expectation individually and how specific areas of this word fit us personally and that we would respond in accordance with your word. We just we just wait upon you. Jesus' name.